Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing paper? Swinging your tools the more you gave up. Call us the tricks of your trade. Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter. Don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade. Hello, welcome to episode 21 of the Tricks of Your Trade podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Serson, construction adjudicator, lawyer and director of Tricks of Your Trade. We are leading up to running a webinar on why you should never, never, never start work on site without a contract. And I'm going to take you guys through in the webinar uh, how this unfolds, what the consequences are, and if you are going to do it, how to do it properly. Uh, I'm not encouraging you to start work on site without a contract and you will hear in this podcast all the reasons why there is never really a good reason you should start work without a signed contract. all squared away but I recognize that sometimes you turkeys do it anyway so if you're gonna do it you need to be able to do it so that you are covered and I'm going to show you how to do that in my upcoming webinar if you would like to register for my webinar you can go to www.tricksofyourtrade.com.au jump on there and make sure you secure your spot Now, what I want to demonstrate to you in this podcast is three reasons that might appear innocent Uh, to you as to why your builder needs you to start work on site without a written contract but all the underlying reasons it's actually going to backfire on you. Now in my experience as a builder's CA I can tell you what is going on inside the builder's camp when these uh, requests are made. Uh, We can almost reverse engineer a contract's administrator's behaviour to work out what is going on behind the scenes. So I want to bring you the intel and let you know what it is so that you can be fully informed of what's going on when you're asked to put your bum on the line and start work without all of the deals squared away uh, so you can make better decisions. Now the first reason uh, that this is likely to happen is that if you're one of the uh, starting trades on the job, so if you're an early works contractor or if you're one of the services trades that's going to be doing in-ground works, the design might still be up for discussion and if the builder doesn't have a firm design but he wants to try and make tracks on getting the job underway sometimes what they'll do is they'll ask you to come in and do some early works pending some changes that are likely afoot. Now the good thing about this is you're probably going to be aware of this because you might be in the process of pricing some changes or you might even be part of that design process. But if you're not and the design is being done at a head contract level and you're say the earthworks contractor, uh, you might be the plumber, could be the electrician, and you're not aware that the design is still up for discussion, the conversation behind the builder's closed doors is likely to be about we need to hurry up and get the job started, let's just do what we can to start to make tracks so that we can start putting in progress claims, Uh, you know, we need to make our overall program and the completion dates fixed or it could be that the builder has a design and construct contract with the head uh, with the principal and they have a fixed date to meet and so if the design is still up for discussion that's the builder's problem. Now in a perfect world you would price an end-to-end scope 
and have a fixed price contract going into your subcontract and know exactly what the design is. But if the builder thinks that you're likely to jack your variation rates sky high because you already have the uh, peace of mind that you've got the overall contract, he might be trying to string you out and not give you a contract yet so that you don't suddenly come back with really high variation rates like an open checkbook once he does ask you for the changes. So he's trying to keep the door open a crack really on your pricing and the thought process behind that, the logic behind that as a contracts administrator is that if you're still in competition with other trades, you'll give us keener pricing than if you have been given the job and everything is a variation. So the uh, hot potato of le leverage is squarely in your seat while you are still not starting work on site without a contract. But the moment that you do start work on site, what happens is all of a sudden the builder's got you over a barrel for the work you've already done. So he wants to pay you something or you really want to be paid something, I should say, and he's going to hold that money on you until the, you have those variations keenly priced and squared away. Or he might even just say, well, no, we're going to go with another contractor. And then all of a sudden you've got this war on your hands of trying to get paid for that first early works that you did. Now, the thing to remember in this situation is the builder's taking a risk by starting the job without having the design finalized. And we all know that once we start work and we get some things done and then the design changes, you've sometimes got to undo the work you've already done to be able to keep going along with the job with the new design. And so if you think of it as tandem parachuting, builders jumped out of the plane, he's still putting his parachute on. Are you gonna go along with him for the ride? If you are, you're absolutely crazy. I just have to say, this is not your problem, okay? You have got no incentive whatsoever to start work on site without a contract before it's all squared away if the design is still being put in place. If the builder's worried about losing time, that's his problem. You're not on that time frame yet. But once you do jump on that time frame and you start work without signing the contract, you are in a position where there's going to be back and forthing about who agreed to what terms, whether or not there was a verbal agreement for a particular date for completion. He's going to put LDs in the contract. You're going to be in less of a position to cross them out because you will be wanting payment for the work you've already done. So you see how... The builder is actually trying to save money by starting the job early so they can pr progress the work. And he's mitigating against delay costs that were never your problem to begin with. So he's essentially got you taking on more risk for no additional financial benefit and much, much, much more contractual risk by starting work without squaring away the terms. Now, the second reason that contracts administrators will ask you to start work without a signed contract is usually uh, something else going on behind the scenes in terms of having their contract drafting or their authority to let approved by upper management. So I've talked about this previously in podcasts where contracts administrators are required to do a budget comparison of quotes that have been bought in for subcontractors and they do a little due diligence check and they put it up to their project manager or their construction manager called an authority to let. Now, if there's a delay in getting you the contract document, it's usually because there's a delay in getting approval from management to sign you up in the first place, and it's probably to do with the budget. So if they're trying to, if the contracts administrator is trying to convince the commercial manager or the project manager that you're the man, you're the guy, 
um, or the lady, Subby, who they need to employ because of all the really good reasons that he's put on his authority to let. But essentially, the dollar value is over the budget line, then they need to shuffle scope. And what happens then is you'll see contracts administrators who will break up typical um, trade packages, like, say, for example, the carpentry, they might break it up so that there's a labor only component and then they might try and supply the materials. Uh, All the different ways that they might try to reshuffle who's doing what around in terms of scope so that they can allocate it to different budget line items so that they're essentially not in the red on any of their budget line items. But at the end of the day, it really is just a matter of robbing Peter to pay Paul because somebody has to do that work and they have to be paid for that work. So it doesn't matter how much they move it around. The money needs to be spent anyway, or the money, it's going to cost them the same amount of money, essentially, a market value. But the risk is because they're moving the scope around and they're not just going along with the traditional scope of work for your trade, that's when unlet scope items arise and you end up doing variation work that nobody anticipated or there's an argument about who should be doing what. Now, the reason this delays the document is because the CA simply doesn't know what to write in the scope of work. So at the moment that he's teeing you up, he might also be negotiating a portion of what he was going to get you to do with somebody else. And that's not pinned down yet. So that's not finalized. And so he's in a position where he can't write your scope of work because he doesn't know where he's going to put the rest of your scope of work in somebody else's scope of work. So it holds up the whole document and getting it to you. Now, the very first thing that I want you to realize if this is what you think is happening is that at some point, this contracts administrator is likely to have a little hiccup with their budgets and needing to buy something they didn't anticipate. And there's very likely to be a little white lie told by that contracts administrator about what you agreed to and how much you agreed to do it for. So this is the classic way that disputes unfold when Somebody starts work on site without a contract, the contracts administrator is, you know, a little bit green in the job or makes a mistake and then lies about something that you said verbally, allegedly, which we know is not true. So it might say, look, you agreed to a fixed price of, you know, one, two, three. Um, and you didn't actually ever agree to that fixed price of one, two, three, but that contracts administrator needs to tell his boss that to save his job. Now, at the time that you are being good mates with this guy and starting on site early to help him out to get a progress claim into the principal or any other reason that he tells you that he needs you, you guys are going to be mates and you are going to have put in a bucket load of time up front convincing him to give you the job in the first place. So you're going to be of the frame of mind that you want to keep him happy. It's not going to be for about a year, very likely that you will find out that he's going to tell a little porky about what you agreed to. Or he might be thinking back and thinking, why would I have done that? And he might genuinely um, misunderstand or misremember the deal when it went down. So if there's been a series of quotes given and the end deal ends up being struck on a basis of, we've got a couple of quotes and this will be in, but that will be out and it'll be around about this much money. You need to get that in writing. That is absolutely critical that you get that in writing. And I would suggest that you resubmit a final quote. 
even if it's the day that you start work on site without the contract signed, even if the proper contract is not signed, you would resubmit a final quote with the final price that you agree to with the terms and the exclusions on that quote and you would make a record that says this is the basis on which we are commencing. We have not yet seen the terms in your terms and conditions of contract so we don't agree to any additional terms over and above what's in this quote and this is the basis on which we are commencing work. Now if you come to my webinar uh, this month you will actually get template emails that you can send to your builder that say exactly what you need to say to make sure that you don't agree to additional terms when you start work on site and to make sure that you give them everything you need to give them in order to make sure that you are specifying the terms on which you are agreeing to commence work. Again, this is not my recommended course of action. You can see for yourself what the risks are that I've just outlined where if the contracts administrator doesn't have the budget for you and is shuffling scope around to try to afford you what the risks are. Inevitably, at the end of the job, the money's not going to be there to pay you. And you are much better off finding that out now and walking away from the job and letting one of your competitors walk into that mess. Because if you keep taking jobs like this, where the builder doesn't have the money to pay you from the outset, it is only going to end up in costly arguments at the end of every single job. If you don't have a written contract, it can make it for a very expensive debt recovery exercise. Now, the third reason that your contracts administrator might ask you to start work on site without having the proper signed contract in place is if the person that you're deal dealing with in the builder's camp isn't the man who's got the authority to give you the contract or he's not the person preparing the contract. And so what ends up happening in these situations is you might have had lengthy discussions about scope and how you will, how you intend to safely carry out the work. You might be talking about cranes. You might be talking about hoarding on site. You might need particular access at a particular point. You might be coordinating with local authorities for some kind of connection of services and you might have special requirements. And then lo and behold, some other person entirely writes your scope of work. In fact, that some other person is likely to be further up the food chain and likely to have been involved in previous disputes. If that building company's had other disputes, there's usually somebody who is in the organization who is always sent in to fight for the builder's money. And when they start to prepare contracts and look at revising terms, those guys, those hired guns, are typically the ones who get brought back in to put in the additional terms in the contracts to cover them moving forward. Now, not every builder is predatory, and not every builder does this in bad faith, but quite a lot of builders, once they've been burnt, and they, they do think that they're being burnt, by the way, they don't see it as that they're trying to avoid paying for something that a tradie actually did work for value and should be paid for. They think that they are the victims in the situation and that the subby is trying to get something he wasn't entitled to. So what they do is they will write in clever little tricks in the contract to hoodwink you of some cash at the end, or they will write in some bum covering terms to make sure that they don't get stung on that particular um, little task again. Now, if someone other than your guy 
is not preparing the contract is preparing the contract. So if your guy's not preparing the contract, you are going to be in a far riskier situation than if it was him preparing the contract. And at the end of the day, he's going to be the one that gives it to you. So you're not going to really know unless you read and review the contract thoroughly. And the way that you'll be able to tell is if everything seems a little bit above his uh, pay grade or looks like the way that the contract was written is a little bit too clever for the guy that you've been dealing with. You might be dealing with a cadet who's actually a really nice kid, but there's no way he wrote some of the things that have been slipped into your scope and you really don't, you wouldn't pick him for that kind of behavior. Now, there might be absolutely nothing sinister about somebody a little bit higher up the management chain being the person who prepares the contracts in a building company. In fact, it's probably good practice for a lot of builders who are using cadets to do a lot of the trade negotiations and they might be teaching them, they might be in a training situation. Uh, it's not necessarily always a sinister thing that that, um, that managerial person has prepared the contract. It could just be smart business practice on the builder's part. But the reason that you need to be noticing these things and second guessing whether or not you want to take the job is because the person that you think you've got the relationship with has got no authority none at all, not even enough to write your contract. So this Achilles heel that we have with subbies trusting their relationships with contracts administrators who give them repeat work is that he can't fight for you. He's not going to get you any outcome. He's got, he doesn't even have enough authority to send you an email with a contract on it after having negotiated the scope with you. So if you think he's going to go be the guy who goes into battle for you about something that might have been missed from his contract or that could be additional variation work, you're going to be sorely disappointed because it's very, very unlikely that that guy, unless he's promoted uh, or unless the job takes five years and he actually grows up and gets better at his job, um, he's very unlikely he's going to get you an outcome. Now, the fourth way that this will typically unfold in a builder's camp, the reason that you might ask somebody to start work on site without a contract is because the deal's still being cut with the principal and you yourself as the silly turkey builder have started work on site without a contract with the principal. Now, this is high risk. This is really high risk. But the common ways that this will unfold is if there was one builder that started the job, the job is part the way complete. And for whatever reason, the principal ends up getting rid of the first builder and engaging a new builder. And when that happens, typically the new builder is brought in under like an urgent emergency type situation where works need to be secured. Um, you know, there might be potential for things to be damaged or um, ruined by the weather or stolen or there needs to be site supervision of some kind. But let me tell you that if your builder hasn't yet cut a proper written contract deal with their client, you now have two tiers of contractual risk that you are embarking on if you go and throw some money into this job. When I say money, I'm talking about you going on site, starting work without a deal squared away with the guy who's going to pay you. Because what will happen is if the builder's deal falls apart with the principal, he's not going to want to pay you. And the principal is going to try and avoid paying the builder for any work that you did because the principal may not have even been aware that you started. So that's where you end up in a situation where you've gone and done work on somebody's site. You can't prove who you contracted with and 
your builder doesn't want to pay you and his boss doesn't want to pay you either. So this is where you really are throwing money into a hole over somebody else's problem. This is not your urgency. And in fact, if this situation unfolds and they really do need you urgently to secure the site because there's some kind of safety reason or emergency or uh, securing of the works to be done, you should get a purchase order. You should get something straight away that uh, that basically sets out that you will be paid for the early works and that you're not agreeing to any additional terms at this point. In that moment, both the principal and the builder need you to come and rescue them. So you've got the best leverage you're going to get in terms of negotiating better terms. So if these four reasons aren't enough for you to see that starting work on site without having the contract squared away is never really going to end well for you. You still need to come to my webinar. Not only am I worried that you haven't seen the full picture or understood the full extent of the risk of starting work on site without having the contract squared away, but if you're still not convinced, that tells me that you're still likely to go and have a crack. And if you are going to go and do it on occasion, when you feel like it, because that's a captain's call and you're the businessman and that's up to you, come along to the webinar and find out how to do it properly. Find out how to start work on site and cover your bum without having the builder's written contract squared away. If you have any questions about what I've talked about on this podcast, feel free to drop me a good old fashioned email at questions at tricksofyourtrade.com.au. If you would like a systematic approach to your contract administration and getting paid, head on over to our website and check out the Subbies toolbox. You won't be disappointed there. And just one last time, our web address is www.tricksofyourtrade.com.au. Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing paper? Swinging your tools the more you gave up? Call us the tricks of your trade! Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter. Don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade!